Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the College Info Geek Podcast in 2016. As always, my name is Thomas Frank. It has not changed, though sometimes I wish it would change to Megatron. I guess I could go try. You know, I wonder if I went to the county courthouse and, like, asked to change my name to Megatron Frank, would they let me do it? You think? I don't know. Anyway, this is a show that helps you become a more effective student, and on today's episode, I am happy to once again welcome my friend Chris Bailey from a alifeofproductivity.com onto the podcast. If you've been a longtime listener, which I guess a uh, long time being eight months ago, you'll know that back in episode 59, he came onto the show and we talked about all sorts of stuff related to productivity, we talked about like... Uh, values and figuring out like what it is that you want to invest your effort in and whether or not you're actually accomplishing anything. We talked about habits and procrastination, all sorts of stuff. And today we're basically going to continue that conversation. We're going to just basically have a, this episode is basically a chat between two people who are geeks about productivity and hopefully you are able to learn something from it, including, yes, what the worst thing you can do for your productivity is. Also, um, if you listen to that episode, Chris mentioned that he had just gotten a publishing contract with a huge book publisher, and he was writing a book based on all of what he'd learned during his year of productivity experiment. And um, I mentioned that I was jealous because I've always wanted to have a book of mine on a shelf in a bookstore somewhere, and hopefully someday that will still happen. But for Chris, that has actually happened because today is actually the launch date for the book he was writing, which is called The Productivity Project. And uh, he was able to send me an early copy, so I got to read a bunch of it before the interview, and then I read a bunch more last night after the interview. And so far, I'm really enjoying it. It's a great overview of many different productivity concepts. He kind of breaks down a lot of what he learned in his experiments and also talks to a lot of experts in the field and goes through a lot of the research so if you want an overview of productivity, um, I don't really think I've recommended any like big overarching book on productivity in the past. I've talked about like the power of habit for habit building. I've talked about the motivation hacker by Nick Winter, which is kind of a small book about increasing motivation levels. But I haven't talked about an over like a big overview book on this topic. And I think the Productivity Project is a great place to start if you're looking for something to kind of just guide you through a lot of different productivity topics and give you a lot of different ideas for becoming a more efficient person. So if you want to get the book, it is on sale as of today. And uh, I will link to it in the show notes. It's over at CIGpodcast.com as always. You can find the episode 91 link on the page and uh, you'll find all the links to the things we talk about in this episode, including that book link and also including ways to rate and review the podcast if you would like to support it. So that is all I've got for this intro other than a quick clarification. In the episode, uh, in the interview when I, I did it yesterday, I said I was going to put it up yesterday and obviously I did not do that. So I guess I apologize in advance. Don't send me any tweets yelling at me for it because Chris told me to go to the gym and I think that was better advice than putting it up yesterday. So going forward, I will have podcasts coming out again on Mondays as they always have been, but today was just a little bit uh, later because of uh, my need to go get, you know, my swole on, right? So 
If you are in the gym right now, hopefully you have a good workout. Otherwise, hopefully you enjoy this episode. Regardless, let's get right into the interview. Okay, let's right. start the show right now. What's up, dude? Right now. Right, right now. now. Oh, you, you said not to slam the table. Dang it. We're off to such a great start. I already screwed up. Dude, Man. welcome to the show again. Oh, oh, oh thank you. Yeah, Hello, it's, it's me. <laughs> it is you. I, I'm yeah. just trying to remember uh, which episode you were in before. It was like 59 or something. It was 59. Yes. I guess whatever it. it was. What are you at now? Is fifty nine? Uh, your episode is going to be ninety one. Ninety one. So that's a big jump. A thirty two episode gap. Yeah, we and had a great title for that show, right? I, I remember on Twitter. You can do for your productivity. The best because I have the tendency to be redundant when I talk, and I said that like a billion jillion times. We had a great title. It's like one of the best podcast you've had probably the best podcast you've ever done yeah probably you know probably Actually, you think about it i can look it up right now and i can uh cut yeah. your ego down to size a little bit <laughs> actually i think it is pretty high it is yeah so i is, remember you posted some uh like screenshot on twitter of how many downloads the podcast got and it was up there it's like in the top 10 i was surprised it is number nine right now yeah oh okay it got bumped down a it was bit. higher but like as the podcast has gone on, more people listen to it, which is a good thing, I think. And I think yeah, that the later episodes kind of get a little bit more play just because they're at the we, top of the feed. We need a catchy title. For a catchy this title? Yeah. What, like, like, here's a free car. <laughs> here's a free car. The worst podcast ever made. I think we were floating that around on Didn't Twitter. We talk the about best like, podcast we, ever made? I think we talked about that off air one time. We were like, all right, for the next episode we do, whenever you come back on the show, it's like the worst thing you can do for your productivity. The worst thing, Bailey. yeah. We should do a, all right. an episode of laziness. Anyway, we're, in, we're already off on a tangent. That's fine. In this episode, we need to talk about the worst thing you can do for your productivity. Okay. Because, I mean, we're going to talk about your book. Like, okay. I'm just going to be straight up about it. We don't have to pimp the book too much. We don't have to pimp it too much, but I do want to no, at least don't. tell people that you have a book out. And, you know, have, have you ever watched out. The Daily Show? Like I back do. when Jon Stewart I, was I haven't on watched it? the new one. I, I watched it with Jon Stewart, yeah. I, I'm in the same boat as you. I never have watched the new one yet. I probably should. Um, he looks great, this guy. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah. Definitely goes to the gym, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I meant like uh, on, on TV. <laughs> yeah, he does. But he's, he's also very physically attractive as well. <laughs> but what were you going to say about The Daily Show? So I was going to say Tom. on The Daily Show, like, you know how he has a guest every time? Yeah. And uh, a lot of times it's like people who've written books. And I watched it every morning while eating breakfast back when Jon Stewart was on it. And it was always really yeah. funny when the guest would be like, so did you actually read my book? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I read it. Of course I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ask me anything. As long as it's in the also in the Coles Note summary. Yes. So <laughs> Did you I, read this book? I no? have read be 70 pages of it. Okay. So I, what I wanted to say was I want to establish, because this is the beginning of my career as person who gets ARCs from authors. Oh, it's kind of weird. Like I, it, no one has ever offered me ARCs, which I guess I should Aww. tell people are advanced reader copies of books yeah. that are about to come out for promotional purposes, ostensibly before. Yeah. But this, like this year, it seems like uh, it's happening, and I, it's not because I'm like super famous or whatever. It's because well, you definitely you are, Tom. You are to me, with... buddy. Oh, nice, thanks, man. You're famous to me, <laughs> and you're handsome. You're almost as handsome as Trevor Noah. Almost, almost. almost. I'm working on almost it. There. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we got your book coming out. Uh, 
I'm okay. I'm we're recording this Monday. I'm probably just gonna put it up as soon as we're done. So tomorrow, oh, cool. Tuesday the fifth, nice. and then my friend Steve's book is coming out on the eleventh, which is next week, and he's gonna be on the podcast next week. So it's like book time, and I want to establish myself as honest when it comes to a uh, media personality who has or has not read the books. And I yeah. read seventy pages, and so far I am really enjoying it. And I'm probably so just far gonna, so like, good. Steal a bunch of your stuff for videos in the future. Oh, good, good. <laughs> It falls apart after page 70, uh, 70, yeah. After page 70. Oh, so you okay. can stop reading. Oh, I can stop. No, I'm just kidding. I do actually, <laughs> yeah, I, I, know, I am going to finish it. And I have some, uh, with certain with certain books, I'll like load them up with those little plastic flags, like colored flags, so yeah. I don't have to highlight them. And I have a bunch of uh, flags in here with cool stuff oh, I wanted to remember. Sign. Yeah. Uh, I have a flag here. It was like, you said, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when they invest effort in improving their productivity is that they continue to work automatically in response to the work that comes their way. And that yeah. like hit me like a ton of bricks yeah. because a lot of the time that I've invested into improving my systems comes at the expense of not stopping to think about what's important. And I'm just mm. like, my problem is every time I want to do something, yeah. it's got to be this ongoing thing. And then we're going to, I'm going to become part of a new podcast and now I'm going to make a video every week and it's going to be a new series yeah. on my channel. And there's like never any stop to it. So it just keeps going and going and going. And I, I'm realizing that more and more, like one of, I think my favorite word in the English language is intention um, and intention and deliberateness. If you look at how productivity is made up, they live, in my opinion, at the heart of productivity. You can't become more productive if you don't also become more deliberate about what you work on in general, about what you work on every week, about what you work on every day. Um, but at the same time, like the hard part about productivity is that there's always a gap between I've, I've, I'm used to doing print interviews, by the way. So I need to like I need to like flip to being on a podcast. So I'm <laughs> used to talking slower because I know somebody's going to write it. But I know people don't give a shit about that um, when they listen to a podcast. But there's yeah. always this gap between what you intend to accomplish and what you actually accomplish. And that gap is what productivity, I think, is designed to bridge. And you mentioned the deliberateness bit. Um, you know, it's not working about faster. It's not about working faster or more frantically or at a more frenzied pace. It's about taking this step back um, seeing what's important and deliberately spending more time, attention and energy on that. And I really do believe that the more I the more I experiment and think about productivity, the more solidified I am um, in this way of thinking. And but on the other hand, right, the reason why it's possible to, you know, write a, a whole book on productivity, not just stop there. Um, the reason why we can get beyond page 70 is that this gap is impossible to bridge 100% of the time. Mm. Um, and, you know, despite your best intentions, um, stuff happens and, you know, shit hits the fan. I, sorry, I've, I've sworn twice already. I'll, <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to cut that back a little bit. Um, but, you know, we set these intentions and because the future is impossible to predict, you know, you don't know what obstacles are going to get in the way of what you intend to accomplish. But that's the hard part about productivity is bridging that gap, I think, between intention and action. Um, and again, it might sound a bit philosophical on the surface and in a way it is, but that's kind of the approach that I took with the book. Um, the book is as tactical and practical as possible, but um, that's kind of the, the reasoning behind every tactic uh, in the book. 
yeah, it's kind of like this this realization that uh, closing the gap isn't about just doing more work so you can hit your ideal. It might be about scaling your ideal back. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, you I've could been be... in many situations in my life where I'm like, the ideal is impossible. Yeah, and not and, even needed. And it's about being productive on the right things, right? And one mm-hmm. of the simplest ideas that you can imagine, but it's so difficult to act on is that not all tasks are built equal. You know, there are some tasks in your work, in your life that for every minute you spend on them, you accomplish more than with other tasks. So take, you know, writing a report and watching Netflix, you know, anyone knows, actually most people know that you accomplish more doing one minute of writing that report than you do taking a break and watching Netflix. Well, maybe it's another thing if you actually take a break, but you know, watching Netflix versus writing a report, the math is is pretty clear. You know, writing a report will make you more productive. And people know this in general, and people have these general intentions that are grand, you know, that, you know, I, I want to get a six pack and become vice president by the summer. But in the moment, you know, you want nothing more than to uh, sleep in for a few hours and grab a cheeseburger. And so it, it's it's this gap between, um, between what you want in the short term and the long term too, mm-hmm. and knowing what's important and acting on that. I don't yeah. think that speaks to anything of what you said. I'm just kind of saying words, but but <laughs> productivity, productivity. So productivity. Hashtag productivity. There are things in your book I want to talk about, especially like the title, yeah. because you mentioned time, attention, and energy a lot. And I think yeah. that's a really good distillation of productivity that you've that you've kind of built into this. But um so what what this week's episode was going to be before I remembered that I needed to have you on the show was mm-hmm. it was gonna be like my year end review. So what I want to oh. ask you is like, do you do year end reviews or not? Uh, not really. You know, I, I have these rituals that are built into my life, mm-hmm. um, like an accomplishments list. Um, I, I don't really believe in resolutions or, or anything like that. Um, I, I review every aspect of my life once a week. Um, okay. So every... And it might sound excessive and maybe it is in a way, but the way I see my life from 10,000 feet is I can break how I spend my time down over the course of the day, over the course of the week into seven main, I call them hot spots. And so there's my mind, my body, my relationships, my finances, my relationships and having fun. And wait, that was like work is in there too. Wait, (laughs) do you, how many is that? How many did I say? I think you said relationships twice. Oh, I said relationships twice. So okay. there's mind, well, body, cool. finances, relationships, work, <laughs> fun. I think that's six. Uh, yeah, and I have emotions as well. Oh, in emotions, there. okay. Um, so I guess I do have seven, right? Because I change I these all the yeah. time. <laughs> I, I forget if what I wrote in the book matches up to what's in front of me here. But yeah, in front of me is my mind, my body, my relationships, finances, fun, and emotions. Okay. And every week I scan this list and see my life kind of from 10,000 feet. And so mm-hmm. under emotions, for an example, I have things like impulse control and meditation and uh, you know being in a relationship and things like that. Uh, for uh, under having fun, I have a weird way of having fun, but you know, separating from work on weekends because I do what I love for a living, uh, mm-hmm. taking vacations, listening to podcasts, um, reading books. And so the idea is that under each of these hotspots, I can kind of take a step back and I only do it for five or 10 minutes each week and see if I'm on track to uh, 
to achieve what I want to in each. And it's great because um, you know, sometimes you have to tilt, right? So when I was writing the book, I spent way more time on work than I did on my relationships. And sometimes mm. that's um, almost essential. You know, the idea of work-life balance, it's, uh, it's, hard, it's really hard to achieve in practice in the immediate term. But I think over the medium term, you can kind of tilt one way and another and make sure that nothing dies on the vine, but also at the same time achieve uh, big things in these different groups. Um, so I, I simply scroll down the list and see if I'm investing my time, my attention, my energy the way I want to under each each of these hotspots. So I, I do it every week. Uh, sometimes I I skip it, but at least uh, two or three times a month, I, I run my way down this list and see if I'm on pace to be where I need to. Because, okay. you know, th this is this is a weird thing. Like if you're flying a plane and I'm coming up with this analogy on the fly, so it might go, go to, you know, go to hell. Well, it's a good analogy if you're it. coming up with it on the fly. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> it's a it's like flying a plane, right? If you're a couple of degrees off um, when you set out, you know, you aim for Hawaii and you end up in China. But if you take a little course correction, one or two degrees every 10 or 15 minutes or so, um, you are able to reach the destination that you intend to. Mm -hmm. And that might sound kind of corny, but um, I think you know, nobody achieves exactly what they intend to every week. Um, the most productive people achieve most of what they intend to. But what I found is that, you know, even though you might tilt some weeks towards, you know, over investing in your uh, work and under investing in your relationships, the, the most productive people in the long term, they have this kind of balance between these seven different hotspots of their life. So that if one goes to hell, like say you lose your job, you have built up you know, steady relationships and a strong mind and, and good emotions to get you through that phase. And so I, I believe in weekly, uh, weekly corrections. Okay. And also creating an accomplishments list that, you know, that lets me reflect every week what my productivity leads to. So I, I'll agree that weekly review is definitely a good thing. And that's one thing I want to do more consistently this year. But don't you like to look back and kind of like look at how the how your body of work turned out over the course of a year or maybe like just kind of look at some of the really cool things that happened and i don't know i think it's cool to reflect on it uh kind of oh, like yeah. a bigger a bigger view like that oh for sure and this this speaks to you know something i really believe with productivity is that you know, there's no one general thing that works for everyone. Um, so different productivity tactics will work differently for different people. Like mm. take, take waking up early for as an example. Uh, waking up early works amazingly for some people if their life conditions or if the, the times of the day they mo naturally have the most energy uh, jives with an earlier wake up time. But the studies show that there's no difference in socioeconomic standing between somebody who wakes up earlier and somebody who wakes up later. It's what you do with the hours of your day after you wake up that make the entire difference. Yeah. And so, you know, tactics like that, tactics like the hotspots, the weekly review, these are all things that work for most people, but won't work for everyone. And, you know, I, I definitely see the huge value in, uh, in having that ritual and especially in the accomplishments list. So, you know, taking some time to review everything that you achieved over the course of the year, you know, it propels you into the next one, I think. But yeah, it's not something I, I do it every week, I think. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah, it, do, it definitely makes sense to me. Uh, it might botch the question I was going to lead into. Oh, go for it. I was going to say, uh, 
so April thirteenth. It, it is April thirteenth of last year was when the first episode for you and I went live. Okay. So I I'm since we're both like productivity people, I wanted yeah. to kind of like do a review of like, did we actually get a good amount done in that intervening eight months? Like, are we satisfied with our progress or not? Oh, let's do that. Because I've been thinking about my my year, and yeah. Um, I, I want to do a more in depth year like year end review, and it might end up coming a, f- a couple weeks late, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that like, Wait, what date are what date are we working from again? Um, April thirteenth of last uh, year, of twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. Oh, twenty fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's twenty sixteen already, right? Yep. I actually had okay. somebody else who who were who like <laughs> thought it was twenty fourteen was last year. Let's go over it. Let's go over it. So yeah. So since April fourth. April 13th. I mean, for me, like definitely in terms of my business, 2015 was the best year ever because like the audience grew like crazy because of YouTube. And I know I like shoved all my time into that. And it's really cool to look at my channel to because like the channel is a really good, you can see all the little thumbnails so I can kind of see my entire body of work there. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of that. On the other hand, a lot of your face. In a lot of your a face. A lot of my face. Do you like scrolling by your face, or is oh, it yeah. is it a positive experience for it's you? It's like who's who's that like Greek mythological figure who just like yeah. gets stuck staring at his reflection in the pool? That's, yeah. that's every YouTuber. I spend hours <laughs> on, on the on the front page of your channel. <laughs> well, that's... scrolling by your face. <laughs> nice. Um, see, you got me all flustered now. You got me all yeah, hot I got, and bothered. Yeah, I got you all oh, messed gosh. up. Yeah. But I was going to say, so it's, it's, it's my goal with every interview, you know, some, some <laughs> interviewers try, try to fluster who they're interviewing, but I like to fluster the interviewer. Have you, uh, have you ever heard of Casey Neistat? Yeah, I have. I watch his channel like every day, but I think a few, probably more than a few, like maybe seven or eight years ago, he and his brother did this video about going around New York city and like, uh, sawing off bike locks to show how nobody cares. And then yeah. uh, they, some some news channel wanted to interview them about it, but apparently the like the newscaster lady was like a complete jerk to them. So as uh. a joke, uh, Casey like got close to his brother while his brother was using the angle grinder to grind off a chain, and then he like sp- he like squirted some ketchup on his neck and pretended that he got cut, and he starts like falling to the ground and, and screaming, <laughs> and the the newscaster got super pissed at him. <laughs> She's oh, like, "This interview is over." That's <laughs> so, hilarious. You know, at I, least you're not doing say, that to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to do that to you or anything of that. But yeah, most of the folks that have interviewed me, like you, you hear people like saying, oh, the press are a bunch of jerks. Most of the people, you know, mind you, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But most of the people have been really nice. There have been a couple where, you know, the, the big thing is if you're ever interviewed for anything is to make sure that what you say is like if you don't want it to be written down anywhere, you say that it's off the record, or else you know for sure that quote is ending up somewhere. So I've, really? I faced that a couple of times. I won't I won't tell you what interview. Like from, even from, if you ask, even if you ask somebody like not to put it in, um, you know sometimes they put it in anyway if if uh, if they do, and then you know you just don't talk to them again. But <laughs> so wait, is there like some actual code where if you say this is off the record, they can't print it? Yeah. I had no idea. Oh I thought gosh. that was like a movie thing or something. No, but I thought, well, I've seen say, movies where they say, is this off the record? And then they go ahead and print it anyway. So I always oh, just figured like, okay. no matter what you say to a Yeah, a it's, like a, it's like an ethics thing, I guess. I guess they have to sign. I don't know what 
it's like engineers have the ring. Maybe journalists have a code of ethics. Journal, any journalists listening to this right now will hate us both because we're totally <laughs> misunderstanding the way things are. But whenever, yeah, what you ha- you actually have to say like, okay, off the record, blah 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 blah, and then you know back on the record for the for record, like the for some of them. I actually you know, am both, Batman. Most of them. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they can't print that that, that though. Yeah. <laughs> Off the record, so I'm actually really it's hungry like, right now. Please don't print that. <laughs> yeah, please, at press time, Bailey do, mentioned that he was hungry. <laughs> I'm known for being not hungry. You can't print that. <laughs> I'm the guy yeah. who's never hungry. Yeah, that's my thing. It's my claim to fame. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, April. So so back to uh, reviewing the year, or at least the eight months yeah. since we did the interview. Um, business wise, I think things went really well, but. I think my habits kind of took a a toll from just like the intense energy I was investing in the videos and as yeah. as opposed to 2014 where I was like doing my morning routine without fail tilted every day. Much. It, yeah. yeah, I kind of tilted over as 2015 went on. I found myself more and more being like, okay, I really need yeah. to finish this thing this week so I'll get back into it next week. And next week never came yeah. until like nearing the end of the year when I just had to reset everything. So, and then there's like, just now, you know, I, I also don't believe in the new year's resolutions because I think that it encourages people to wait too long to review. Yeah. And, make them every week. Things. But, yeah. uh, I did like after Christmas and everything was done, I was like, okay, I'm going to reset the systems once again and yeah. get back into things. So how, how would you say your productivity and your body of work fared since we last talked? I think it fared really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely overextended with the book and that was my intention that, you know, Im- immediately when I got the deal to write this thing, um, I thought, you know, this is, this is an opportunity that if, if I do an amazing job of it, uh, will scale. And and so there, I have this idea where there, there are some tasks in anyone's work that scale, um, and others that don't. And so for an example, making a movie for you scales because it could reach millions of people. Whereas, you know, responding to an email doesn't because it can only reach one person unless somebody posts that email somewhere of how much of a dick you are to them or or something (laughs) like that, which I'm sure happens to you quite frequently because you're such a, no, you're a nice guy. Every day. Yeah. Every day. (laughs) Gotta stop being such a dick on email. That's Uh, a huge thing for me actually. Is when I'm like really being an well, not being an asshole, but like if I'm tired and like I've, I'm like yeah. trying to get my inbox cleared and I've already done a full yeah. day of work, it can be really easy to default to just like answer the question in a very terse manner, like blah, 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 yeah. here's the link. But I have to realize like this is this person's first time ever emailing me and, yeah. you know, for whatever reason I can actually answer. So I just, I need to project that uh, enthusiasm which is yeah. why I have templates that project enthusiasm. <laughs> and and I'd imagine that, you know, if, if I was watching your videos for a while and, you know, I finally, you know, step up to send you an email, like I'd, I'd want a good response, but mm-hmm. your time doesn't scale in answering the emails. And right. it, it's one of those asymmetries of, of doing work that scales. And so, you know, some careers scale, like being an athlete, being an author, being, a, you know, being an entrepreneur, those things can scale across a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Whereas being a masseuse or being, um, uh, say, a factory worker, you know, your time doesn't scale. In other words, you can't separate 
how you spend each hour of your day from how much you accomplish. Um, they're, they're directly tied. You can only massage one person at one time. You can only build one widget at one time. And with jobs at scale and this, this, what I'm saying right now probably won't apply to too many people. So, you know, keep it short, but there are these kind of asymmetries that exist in those types of jobs. Email being one, um, where, your time, every minute that you spend on a video um, helps thousands or tens of thousands of people where every minute you spend on an email helps one. And it's one of the things that kind of sucks about Doughty because like the president answers 10 letters. Uh, he reads 10 letters a day. So every, every day, the, his communication staff, the hundreds of them um, that work for him because they sort thousands of letters every day, they find 10 that he should read that's representative of everyone. But when, when you're kind of going at it yourself, uh, it's a bit more difficult. But anyway. Um, Is it actually yeah, 10? Yeah. I had never every heard day, that. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, every day um, they, they select 10 letters for him to read. And he doesn't respond to every single one. Okay. Um, but the idea is that he can kind of keep up with what's going on in the country. Um, yes. And get, get that you know, become outside, not, not that we're in bubbles or anything, but I think when you get to that scale, um, you know, it's, it's easier like a CEO or like a, like a billionaire or something. It's easy to get caught up in that bubble. Well, I think it's important for you and I as well. Um, possibly, especially for me because I'm not a student anymore, which is why I don't discourage people from writing me emails. Even if I do have to say like, I can't, you know, always respond. I may not be able to respond to you, but I still encourage people to contact yeah. me because at least I can continue to steep myself in the problems and issues of a student while not being a student. Yeah, and and that's yeah, that's a place where it's really easy to become disconnected. I I, I have a line in my email signature that says that I keep every email I send to three sentences or less. Um, and you know, to save my time and, and the recipients and mm. people seem to get that. They seem to respect that. Um, and I find that works, you know, setting these constraints, these limits, uh, for how much time you spend on something. But yeah. Okay. That's you know, the job idea. with the highest, you know, the job with the highest death rate in the U S by the way, hmm, what is it? It's the president nine, 9%. Oh, statistics are interesting. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. They're misleading often, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I once read book. that it was like, uh, one article was like, the you know small towns have the highest cancer rates in America. What are we going to do about it? But then it was like, well, small towns also have the lowest cancer rates because small towns are at each end of the bell curve. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> it's the same thing with presidents. I would imagine presidents having the highest death rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can find stats to prove or disprove any point. But, but yeah, just looking over my list for the year, just to kind of cap off this point, uh, it was a good year. You know, I, I leaned into the book, but that was that was intentional. You know, it's, it's what I needed to do to to do a kick ass job of it. And I'm proud of the product. So handed that in on June 1st, um, 81,085 words. Um, nice. June 4th, I celebrated my one million minute anniversary with my girlfriend. We we don't do um we don't do anniversaries in uh in years, uh, years. we do it, it we do it in millions of mi minutes. Yeah. Um in how October, much is one million minutes? Oh man, you oh you're gonna test me now. I in think my, it's like in two my years. normal brain. Wolfram Alpha. <laughs> I gotta fire up Wolfram Alpha. Uh one million minutes in years. Is Wolfram that just Alpha for funsies or is it like 
I stood no, your company for one million. So, mi- <laughs> yeah, that's what we celebrate. It, it's one point nine zero three years. Okay. We we don't celebrate regular anniversary anniversaries. She's as geeky as I am about this stuff. So we celebrate million minute anniversaries. And we have um, to buy a present was, every one point nine zero three years. That's right. That's that. <laughs> don't tell her. Don't tell her. Um, in October, I this was huge for me. Um, received some, you know endorsements that were I don't like the word humbling because it's like it, it's hard to say the word humbling without kind of humble bragging at the same time they honor but, you but I, yeah yeah I felt honored when I when I received them for the book in terms of you know people I've respected for for a long time mm-hmm. um in in November and December uh, I was fortunate to have some you know big interviews about the book and so it's it's really been the year of the book uh, in my eyes and I tilted in that direction and that that's meant compromising other parts of my business like I I don't have as much time as I'd like for posting blog posts or, or things like that um, which I think some people might be disappointed in um, but you know it's it's been the year of the book and I'm I'm proud of how it turned out for that's sure awesome I've, I was actually kind of thinking about like boiling years down to one word and it wasn't hmm. like a deliberate challenge that I set out but yeah I was just kind of looking at the past couple of years and like 2014 was definitely the year of the habit for me because okay that's when I got super serious about them and that's what really started making things take off and then yeah. I, I called 2015 the year of the audience because that's when okay. the YouTube channel kind of took off and I kept trying to keep my habits in check but you know they kind of slid and it wasn't yeah. like a horrible crash and burn but they just weren't they weren't as tight of a ship yeah. So, and I'm trying it's to figure like out the what intention thing. Yeah. yeah. You can't do everything you intend to. It's impossible unless you're a robot. Exactly. It's impossible. And I'm trying yeah. to figure out what 2016 is going to be. Um, part of me wants to say it's like the year of money because I need to like figure out how to solidify my income. But I'm, by the same token, yeah. I don't want to define an entire year on just like making more money because it's like one tiny yeah. goal among many. So that's a bit shallow too. you know, money. It's when you focus on money, I think you compromise quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Like like the reason and not to not to discount that goal um, or put you down in any way. But um, I think, you know, what what motivated me to start this productivity project was the opposite of money. It was it was following a passion for a year. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I graduated, I got a a few full time job offers and declined them all so I could uh, study productivity for a full year. And, you know, it was, um, in high, like it, it, it didn't feel like a stupid decision, but it really looked like a, a stupid decision from the outside in because of the money angle, because, mm-hmm. um, because somebody would look at the salaries of the, the jobs I was offered and, and say, you know, why, why the hell are you doing this project? You know, you you gave up a a career at a Fortune five five hundred company to start a, a blog about productivity of all things, <laughs> um, and it, it didn't really make sense on the surface. But there is this visceral um, idea behind it, and now as a consequence of that, by not focusing on the money and, and instead focusing on you know building up an audience and exploring this weird, fr- frankly pretty weird curiosity that I have, you know that's the reason I have more money than I would have otherwise had today. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of a weird focus, you know, companies mm-hmm. that focus on value, um, you know, they end up making more money than the companies that focus on money itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it has to be the year of value, a little bit of context. 
um, because it's, it's not like I just want to make money for money's sake, but I have a couple oh, yeah, of I think, very yeah. big goals um, for 2017 because 2017, I will, 2017, oh. I'm probably going to move. And in 2017, you coming to Canada? <laughs> yeah, actually, right next door to you in Ottawa. Really? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm moving. Good- I'm probably going to move to Denver. Oh, so, cool. Uh, I I want to get away from the the forever winter. And where are you now? I'm in Iowa. Which okay. I mean, you probably have forever cool. winter as well. It is it is yeah. very cold here right now. And yeah, uh, Denver has forever, snow, forever. but it, like the temperature fluctuates so much that the snow melts within a couple days usually, and okay. it's just. It's much more bearable, and also there's mountains nearby and cool things. So we're pretty excited for Do that. Do you like skiing? Do you I like skiing? love skiing so oh, much. Oh man, it's probably like my favorite. I mean, it's such like an effort-intensive thing to go do it, but it's one of the most fun things I can think of to do. And hopefully, we'll be going yeah. this year for at least one trip, um, maybe a tiny second one to Minnesota. Which interestingly, I didn't know Minnesota had good skiing, but I mean, good is in quotes because it's definitely not Colorado, yeah. but it's. Better than Iowa skiing. <laughs> Are you in like a small town in Iowa, or how no, big I'm, is the town? I'm in, uh, I'm in a suburb of Des Moines, so I'm in the biggest city in Iowa. But it's still okay, cool. not nearly as big. Like the metro area here is like uh, five hundred thousand total, and in Denver, the metro area is like three million. So oh, okay, so. it's much much bigger. Yeah, so okay. I mean, we want to do that, and I also would love to be able to help my girlfriend try to establish her own kind of like freelance or business or something like that oh um, nice so if she could work full-time and then work on that like i would love to be able to do that which means that there are like there are numbers i have to hit within a year yeah so it's not like just make more money because make more money but it's like i yeah. have to think about how do i make these things a reality it does come down to finances okay. and no, that makes a lot of sense and in the past i've been like averse to making money like Andrew yeah. would be like, you need to make a product or you need to do something. And I'm like, no, I'll just, it took me forever for anyone to even like convince me to monetize my YouTube videos. Cause it was like this, I don't know, starving artist stoic mentality about it. And yeah, eventually yeah. I realized like, it's not that big of a deal. And no, you're throwing away Pe- money. People. Bro. Yeah. Nobody cares as much as you do yep. about anything that you do. And the same is true for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of see it as, uh, one of my favorite companies and not for any, you know, company reasons is for financial reasons of all things is Amazon. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with how they work. It wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, nobody was, <laughs> but the, the way that they manage their money is that at least for the last, you know, X consecutive quarters, they've never turned a profit. Um, yeah. And instead, what they do is they take all the profit that they made because they do make a profit before they do this and they invest that into lowering the prices on their site so that they can continue to grow and continue to take market share away from other people. And it's a ruthless thing when you think about it. But that mindset of taking that would be income and investing it into scaling upwards um, Mm -hmm. is one that I find really, really interesting. Um, And so many people when they're in their 20s, um, I I see this all the time with the people that I graduated with, um, they take these jobs that are high paying and they're good jobs and they might even be foolish to decline them um, instead of taking other jobs where they would learn more. 
like at a startup or, you know, maybe even taking a part time job and investing in their skills at the same time um, and having that kind of Amazon mindset. Instead, they get greedy and they get a house and they get settled down somewhere. And this restricts the options that they have because they refuse to invest in their skills and instead they invest in money or, or in one of these shallower goals. And so I yeah, I, I kind of have. The way I'm, the where I'm at right now is I have a foot in both camps. You know, I have one foot in the making money camp. You know, because it's a necessity of of living a life, um, and in the other, I have a foot in this kind of scaling up camp. Um, so I don't keep much of anything that I make. Um, instead, I invested into continuing to scale upwards, making sure that I could turn a profit if I could, because Amazon could turn a profit if they really wanted to, yeah. um, and invest that money back into scaling upwards. And, you know, I don't advertise for my site. I don't do anything like that. But at the same time, I'm not shy about, you know, doing something like hiring a programmer to overall overhaul my entire site for, you know, for a cool reason or, you know, going insane with a new article uh, by adding new features to it. So, yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not like a priority that would ever overtake my desire to make things like super high value and as cheaply as possible so yeah. i just think it's like i feel like calling it a focus on money is going to give it the wrong connotation yeah. because a lot of businesses if they focus on money they're going to like lock everything down monetize everything and it's more like no i just need to stop being like a stodgy artist type that doesn't want to charge for anything ever and yeah you know, focus on I still want to retain that like soft sell, keep everything as accessible as possible approach, but still like find a way to cement multiple sources of income like a smart business owner should. So that yeah. way I'm like resilient to anything that may happen. So I guess that, that's yeah, going to be one sense. of my focuses going forward. But I also, I think I want it to be a more balanced year, you know? Okay. I want to also regain those habits, make sure I'm exercising more, make sure I'm spending more time with my girlfriend and all those things. And... Can I ask you a personal question and you don't have to answer it? Sure. Okay. Uh, when you when you you said you overinvested in in you know creating stuff this year, did the relationships in your life suffer during that time? I don't think so. Okay. I just think there's an ideal of I could spend more yeah. time with my girlfriend. I could go do things with my friends more, which would probably involve me like coming up with things for all of us to go do um i could you know i could be at the gym more times a week than i do like i have an ideal exercise amount that i would get and then there's like as you said there's the gap and it's always very hard to to actually meet that gap like today you know i'm i'm already off plan because (laughs) uh i went to go set up a business bank account i finally got like an llc and everything And that took longer than I planned. So I didn't go to the gym yet. I planned like an afternoon gym session before our interview. So I'm going to go after we talk today because I don't want to, I don't want to already fall off the wagon. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. But I just, yeah, yeah, I want to like, I think I put such an emphasis on my schedule, but I don't know if I was efficient enough to, to meet my schedule while also keeping everything else you know up in the air so maybe 2016 needs to have a flipped mindset where it's like i'm going to do the things that i personally want to do like exercising more and investing in my relationships and the schedule will come second 
That and I would sense. still like yeah. to hit the schedule. I would still like to keep a schedule as it is, but not let it rule my life. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. So I just that, that's that's why I like the, that's why I like the rule of three so much. Um, it, it's one of the simplest tactics that I've ever encountered. Um, did we talk about this last time? I I, I didn't go back and listen to our, our last chat. I listened to about Do half you, of it, and I didn't think I don't think we mentioned it within the first half at least. So let's go. Okay, through. cool. Well, yeah, let's do it again. The, the rule of three is simple. You know, so so many people they say, "Oh, yeah, I'm getting really into productivity," and they download you know every to do list <laughs> app under the sun, and, and you know they work frantically and faster instead of more deliberately. But the rule of three is the best way I've found to set these intentions every single day. And it's simple. You know, at the start of the day, you fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask yourself, when the day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And it does a number of things at one time, but you know, maybe most pertinent to what we're talking about right now is it lets you consider the constraints that you have over the course of each day. Um, you know, productivity is often an, a process of understanding the constraints that you have in terms of how much time you have. You know, maybe um, maybe you have a limited amount of energy or focus or, or anything along those lines. Um, and over time, the idea is that you can course correct so that if you find yourself, you know, saying, OK, I want to accomplish these three main things today. You know, you do other stuff, too. Um, and then you overshoot it you overshoot those three things, maybe you can up them the next day. Or if you say, okay, I want to accomplish these three main things, then you undershoot them. Um, you know, you're not good enough that day. You can kind of adjust over time to find that equilibrium of how much potential you have to get stuff done every day. And, you know, I found that's an incredible starting point um, because it not only lets you decide what's important every single day, um, it not only lets you think about what broad overarching goals or resolutions that you have and bring those down to the daily. Um, it also lets you, you know, set those intentions for what you want to accomplish every single day. And this is my favorite daily ritual um, when it comes to my productivity, I think, you know, maybe in addition to meditating every day and, and working more mindfully. Um, and I think it's one of the best things that you can do for your productivity. <laughs> <laughs> but what's the worst thing you can do for your productivity? Oh, man. I think one of the worst things you can do, maybe the worst thing that you can do for your productivity is to not think about what you want to become productive about. Um, whether that's in general by thinking about what tasks in your work are the most uh, fruitful in your work, because again, not all tasks are made equal, or whether that's every day by thinking about what what's important on the daily and bringing the those overarching goals down to the day. You know, those are both ways of of working more deliberately. But when you don't set intentions, you have no control over what you work on. You just work on autopilot in response to the things that come up or that are emailed in most cases your way. And I can't think of a worse thing to do for your productivity. If, mm. if you form an intention to have a perfectly relaxing day at a beach somewhere with nobody around and you do that and you accomplish that intention, um, I think you are perfectly productive because you took that time to set out that intention and think about whether it was worthwhile in the first place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was thinking of a, 
my friend Sean told me this quote. It was like, the man who knows his principles can devise his own methods. And I think it was like, we were talking about just knowing what it is exactly that you want to do, what your principles are, what your values are, and then you can devise your own ways of doing things. But if you don't know what your principles are, you just kind of grab at any method that looks good. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how many people don't plan their day. And it's not like you should have a detailed plan for how you spend every five minutes, but if you don't know kind of the main things of what you want to get done, you're not going to get them done. It's, yeah. It really is that simple. You know, you're going to work on autopilot. You're going to work um, in response to whatever emergencies that come your way. You're going to work on the things that seem important but are actually only urgent. And you're not going to accomplish much of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, productivity isn't about how much you produce. It's about how much you accomplish. And the best way of getting to that point is is that deliberateness, whether in general, uh, whether every week by, you know, reviewing those hotspots, by, you know, changing the course of the week. Um, or with the rule of three every single day. Yeah, which by the way, you got all those hotspots right. I found, okay, I found good. the page. It was oh, like, you found the page in the I book. I did. Okay, it was good. like 160 something, but I'm guessing it will 162 in my version, but it might change because I don't know. I don't even. Think oh, it, it definitely will change. Oh, your but, galley but has an index, so that's good. I think it, it does. Is. Or wait, no, it has notes. It has, it has notes. It doesn't have an Not index. Okay. Yeah, that galley is ugly as sin. I don't know if you're able to post a picture of the galley, but these uh, these like advanced release copies, <laughs> you know, you mentioned ARC, it looks nothing like the finished book. Um, you know, it doesn't have a back. It's it's soft cover instead of hard cover. It doesn't have the finished cover on it. Yeah. It's riddled with mistakes everywhere. I'm not we, sure if you found many. I but, might have. Um, it was interesting because your galley, the cover looks nothing like the actual cover. That's going to yeah. be out, but it does have page numbers and a table of contents. And then like it's by contrast, the galley for Steve's book, the cover was correct. Uh, other than, other than saying advanced copy, not for sale, but then like, yeah, there was no table of contents. All the page numbers were gone and there were like some blank spots for things. And it was like, it was like uh, weirdly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's amazing. You know, when you pick up a book, how much the cover of the book colors how you view what you're reading. Yes. Because it sets the tone for what you're reading. Um, And so you don't enjoy galleys as much as you do regular books. As, Mm -hmm. you know, again, as as shallow as that sounds, it's true. A cover makes a massive, massive difference um, in terms of just setting your expectations every time. You know, if you look at the cover of, of the productivity project, the finished copy, it's amazing how simple it is. Um, but they spent months, my publisher at Penguin Random House spent months uh, figuring out this cover, you know, going back to the drawing board several times until they came up with this. It's amazing yeah. how simple it is, but it's uh, it's probably worth it, I guess. Well, I've heard something about like good design is about removing all the unnecessary elements. So yeah, good design often comes through so many iterations of taking things out and trying to figure out how to make it as, you know, communicate the message as simply and as evocatively as possible. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of a book that I have on my shelf. It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And it's like oh, this whole history cool. of like debt and how like debt and money systems kind of arose together. But it's the the cover is the stark red. And then there's a receipt on yeah, it. But yeah. like the rest of it is just this stark red. And like the book would not have as much of an impact 
if you know like that makes a perfect analogy like it's it's like red in a ledger right it's like a perfect yeah. picture for what the book is about and i think yours is like very similar like the letters are going up like a like a, a progress graph going up and yeah you know they say don't judge a book by its cover but you're going to and i think book covers need to be designed with that in mind because they do form like emotional i don't know predictions and just kind of set the tone yeah, it's like what you wear every day, like like it or not. You know, it would be amazing if the world were free of judgment, but but like it or not, people judge you uh, from the way you look, the you know the way you dress, um, whether they want to or not. Um, and the same is true for a book. You know, you see, this has nothing to do with productivity, but I think it would be an interesting point to say. It, it's it's amazing how embedded judgment is in the way that we see the world. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, you know, a coffee cup in front of you, um, you don't think of it as a coffee cup. You have this, uh, natural motivation to think of it as hot, you know, rather than cold mm -hmm. or as bitter rather than sweet or as heavy rather than light. Um, and we have, you know, there's of course evolutionary reasons for this. Um, we have a natural tendency to um, embed judgment in everything that that exists and books you know books are no exception yeah <laughs> it's probably an evolutionary thing but that has nothing to do with productivity well this is interesting it's, actually because I, I see this on meditation retreats every meditation retreat I go on you know you judge automatically over the course of the day um, even monks do it mm -hmm. but on a meditation retreat every single one by you know a few days in you begin to notice yourself judging the world around you um, and realize that, you, you know, you become a bit here. Here's like Buddhism in a nutshell. Like if you have a coffee cup in front of you um, and you see it as a cold coffee cup, you know, the fact that the coffee cup is cold leads you to uh, become less happy with the coffee versus whether it was warm. Mm. But if you just see it as a coffee cup and experience it as it is, um, you know, there's not no judgment embedded in that thought. And there's also no uh, suffering embedded in that thought. So um, a resetting that, that's judgment is like a resetting of expectations too then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, happiness is coming to terms with how the world changes. Like yeah. If you perfectly adjusted to how the world changes around you, you would be happy for every day for the rest of your life. But mm. this change, which is inevitable for better or for worse, um, leads us to um, kind of be gripped by what occurs around us rather than step back and, and see the world um, as something that is always changing. Yeah. I think to a degree judging is good. Maybe not, you know, not as much as we do. And maybe this, there, a balance can never be struck, but you know, they say like substance over style, never judge a book by its cover. But I think yeah. style emerges from substance and it is our efforts to kind of exude the best qualities of the substance. And, you know, obviously we're not always honest about it and we're not always perfect about it. And maybe we're disingenuous, but I think the intention yeah. is correct. And without that, you know, you'd have a world of just like grumpy people wearing sweatpants <laughs> who you'd have to like shake yeah. awake with coffee to get the time of yeah, day out of them. Yeah. But instead we have, you know, people who want to dress well and present themselves well and people who yeah. want to market things well. And I think it leads to a lot of beauty. It also leads to a lot of, you know, ignorance and judgment. And that's yeah. not good, but. And I, I think the key there, 
you know, like with a book, you know, you can you can put a great cover on a shitty book and it's still a shitty book. Yeah. Um, it, it's to start with the substance and go backwards to the style. Mm-hmm. So start with a good book and go back to a great cover. Um, start with creating value and work backwards to making money for your business. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the key to, you know, you know, don't don't focus on developing your personal brand, whatever the hell that means, you know, and focus on making something good and then caring about your brand second. You know, yeah. if you start with the substance as opposed to the illusion of substance, uh, yeah, I, I have a degree in marketing, so I'm I'm one to talk. But <laughs> it's uh, I I personally, you know, think that's a good place to start. I think you bring up a really good point there that maybe isn't a general productivity tip, but uh, when you when you mentioned personal branding, because that's a fairly <laughs> good chunk of my articles to deal with that on my site and yeah. I do get a lot of questions I'm so like, bad you know, at that I need I, some tips on that Tom. I don't think I you're some- bad at it I think you're pretty darn good at it seeing as like oh. all these people are blurbing you and interviewing you <laughs> but no like you yeah. said you you can try all you want to hone your personal brand and there are certainly things you can do but it needs to stem from substance it needs to yeah. stem from I'm going to take a year to do this really cool project and track all my productivity and do all these experiments or I'm going to yeah. participate in a crazy research study and, you know, part, like publish something or, you know, build something of worth. And then I can work on making a really cool website with a portfolio. Uh, for, ugh, can't say words. Portfolio, portfolio. to yeah. show it you off. You need to work out. Yeah, I do. I need to work <laughs> out my uh, my tongue muscles. I'm going to do some smiley frownies. 50 yeah. smiley frownies. <laughs> I've heard that actually in, uh, in boot camps, they will make people do that sometimes. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> They're like too lazy to make them do push-ups and watch. They're just like 50 smiley brownies. Go. And uh, oh, it's so exhausting. I'm so exhausted right now. <laughs> like, like I'm there doing them. Chewing gum, gum, <laughs> chewing gum for two hours. I'm just. It's actually smiles. very exhausting. It is, isn't it? You yeah. use, use a lot of muscles to frown your face and in oh. a similar amount, but not as many to smile, apparently. People say that, but Maybe I don't it's know. the same amount of muscles. Smiling always, yeah. Or maybe they're bigger muscles or something. But like, I always thought frowning was harder, but maybe it's because they don't do it as much. It's the effort that it takes to, tr- you know, transverse from whatever emotional state you're feeling to get to the point where you're smiling, I think. Like, yeah. if you're feeling sad, it takes less effort to look sad. It's true. So I've, plus, n- I've never really bought into that. I don't know. Plus, if, you, if, if someone tells you to frown, you make a different face than, like, if you actually are mad. I think. Yeah, you look like a turtle. Yeah, you're just like, mm. yeah. who actually does yeah. that? <laughs> no, nope. Anyway, no, I digress. Yeah, we both digress. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, you know, focus on that substance, like you said, and then you can start honing the presentation later on. But there's got to be something yeah. there. Otherwise, people will see right through it. Yeah, exactly. No, Nobody would blurb a book if it wasn't, if, the, if, if there was no substance to it. Yeah. I mean, when an author blurbs a book, another book from another author, they're like staking a little bit of their reputation on it. So. Oh, yeah. It's got to be like, good. Like for, yeah, for Seth Godin's book name to be on the back of the book, like he's he's staking his reputation that my book is going to be good. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there needs to be substance, I think. So anyway, I wanted to sorry, ask you it, about how I'm you... I'm not going name, name drop, though. <laughs> I'm not going to name drop. It sounded like drop, a name drop, but it, but it really wasn't. Like but... I was as surprised as... As anyone, <laughs> I don't want to name drop, but you know, Obama and 50 Cent, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> 50 Cent, by the looks of things, needs the money. So, I, I could probably pay him like 500 bucks. I don't think that money. dude needs the money. I mean, I know he got really? like sued I thought or he whatever. Went bankrupt. I thought he went bankrupt or something. So, I read into it a little bit, and my understanding uh, of it was that like 
part of his business. It's like when it's like when one of uh-huh. Donald Trump's hotels goes bankrupt, like the dude does not care. Yeah. And he'll go he'll go bankrupt to recoup the losses, but it's not like he couldn't just like open his pocketbook and sweep the entire thing uh, under the rug uh, if he needed uh, okay. to. Okay. I got yeah. you. I and gotcha. I think that's the same case with 50 Cent cuz that dude has a lot of money. Okay. Um, but I wanted to ask you about planning your day cuz you talked about the rule of 3. Yeah. And do you have like a, another step after you define those three rules cuz there's probably like little errands and tiny things that would never go into one of those three slots, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I keep a to-do list in conjunction with the rule of three list. Okay. But the the intentions with them are very different. Um, I keep saying that word. Maybe it's maybe it's redundant, just like the best thing you can do for your productivity <laughs> last episode. But we'll see. We'll let, we'll let the listeners be the judge of that. Um, shit, I totally lost my tangent. Oh, yeah. Planning my day. Yeah. Planning my day. Um, I keep a to-do list in conjunction with the three things that I want to accomplish that day. Um, because a to-do list lets me capture everything that's on my plate, all the little things that would slip through the cracks otherwise, so I can get it out of my head and onto a list where I can see it and, you know, prioritize what's important on that list. But really the rule of three is how I structure each day. I, I look at how limited um the the limited amount of the time that i'll have that day see i can't talk either I, i'm losing my my <laughs> mouth muscle after doing those exercises that that you had me do um it was actually a plot so i would seem less uh uneloquent okay no that makes sense <laughs> no it makes total sense um yeah the intention with the to-do list is to capture everything on my plate so get it out of my head so that i can stop thinking about it whereas the rule of three is to set these intentions so i, I look over each day um look at the constraints that i'll have so if i have a lot of meetings i know that i'll have way less time and also less energy and focus because you know there's switching costs associated with those meetings and see that as my starting point um at for how what i want to accomplish that day and that, mm. it's really simple you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to their productivity is they spend all day focusing on their productivity and no, no time working. And, you know, I've fallen into that trap a few times. And there's there's these complicated systems out there that take years to adopt in their entirety. Um, whereas, and they get in the way of you actually doing real work that will let you accomplish stuff. And so that's why I like the rule of three and a to-do list. They're so simple. Um, but they let me capture everything first of all, and most importantly, set intentions every single day. I also do the rule of three every week. So uh, every Sunday, I look at the week ahead to the three main things that I'll want to have accomplished by the time the week is done. And, you know, the the three daily things don't always feed into the weekly things, but they often do. And uh, that's how I do it. Very simple, very lightweight, you know, because for every Here's the thing about productivity, right? Like for every minute you spend thinking about your productivity or investing in your productivity, you have to make that minute back and then some in right. order for the productivity tactics to be worthwhile or else you're just looking at productivity porn. And a lot of this stuff out there is productivity porn. Um, it won't lead you to gain that time back and then some that you spend on it. But the rule of three does and keeping a, a task list does. Um, Are you telling me so that it, taking 15 minutes to tag and add a priority level and a due date to answer a five minute email is not productive? Tom. <laughs> Tom. No, it's not. <laughs> well, good, because I don't do that. 
<laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I hope. <laughs> Though I do recall, I recall weeks, uh, probably like freshman, sophomore year. I think I got over this this little obsession by then. But when I was like trying every productive uh, productivity system, and the ones that were the most complicated seemed like they were the best. <laughs> so yeah, you got to add a priority and a color and a flag and a project type. It's so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy to like the more you're into productivity, the more likely you are to fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you always have to think about, you know, does this save me time or cost me time? Um, Yeah. Productivity can cost you time if you're not careful as as paradoxical as that is. But at the same time, and this is something I'm, I'm coming to realize more and more is there is so much room to become more productive. The the average person um, is so unproductive, it's unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable the gap that exists between how much they get done now and how much they have the potential to get done. Um, even, if, even if you care a lot about productivity, I think that gap still exists. As, as weird as that might sound, um, you know, it's not like productivity will let you get uh, five or ten percent more done every day. It's that productivity will let you get you know ten or twenty times as much done every day. That's what I found. Mm. Yeah, you could spend you could spend all day being productive about email, and you know, frankly, a lot of people do. Um, but it's hard to change the world through email. Yeah, it's. And I mean, you're not really being productive because, as you kind of highlighted the difference earlier between production and accomplishment. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. If I answer every single email that I get, I haven't really accomplished a whole lot because I have necessarily let a video go or something. Yeah. You know? So it's a net negative. Even yeah. Even if I it, produced 1,000 email replies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why the value bit is so important, right? Vo- focusing on value instead of money is when you align your time to what's important in your work in general with what produces results, you know, you'll see naturally, you know, once you take time to figure out what's important, you'll naturally see the video as more important than email because you focus on, you know, the value it creates and how many people it helps versus, you know, just helping one person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So dude, let's talk briefly about your book. Oh yeah, because it's basically out now. So yeah, basically, um, just kind of like give me an overview of it. Like, it is it kind of a distillation of the Your Productivity Project, or is there extra stuff in there? It it's it's all written from scratch. So there's there's nothing in here that's you know copy and pasted from my blog. I think okay. I copy and pasted one paragraph, but I quoted it. I put quotation marks around it, so should be good there. That makes um, legit. Yeah, I guess so. Um, the idea with this book is over the course of my productivity project, it was called the year of productivity. Um, I experimented with hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of productivity tactics. It's, it's impossible to count them all. But what I did with this book is I, the way I wrote it is I started with asking, you know, what things out of everything that I experimented with over the last, you know, that year, as well as the last decade that I've been into productivity would help people out the most to accomplish more. And also what kind of overarching things did I learn? And I picked the 25 that I think will help uh, the reader, the reader um, that that I think will help people (laughs) accomplish more every single day. Um, And that's, that's how I wrote it. And and I wrote a bunch of stories about, because 
the the idea for the productivity project wasn't just to you know research productivity for a year because as fascinating as I find productivity you know not everybody cares as much about productivity as I do but it was to also experiment with productivity so do things like you know watch 70 hours of TED talks over the course of the week to play around with information retention or meditate for 35 hours over the course of the week or live in total isolation for 10 days and and work backwards from these experiments to some valuable lessons and also the research um, that is conducted around those ideas. So, you know, this book is kind of the crescendo of that year of experimentation and research and also interviews with some of the most renowned uh, productivity experts in, in the world. So I, I'm damn proud of, of the way it turned out and I hope people will check it out. Awesome. Was that too Sally? I don't know if that was too Sally, but I, I really am eh. proud of the way this turned out. We'll eh. let people be the judge of it. I was actually yeah, I so. watching my friend Satchel put up this uh, video and he was just kind of talking about the struggle between talking about your work on the internet and when you're a content creator, like engaging with fans and, and replying and things like that. And one of the, one of the points of the talk was about, you know, how there's this kind of nobleness to not talking about your work. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and to a degree that's definitely, you know, valid because some people can be too salesy with their stuff and they promote it, like over promote it. But I think yeah. if you build something or you make something great, you know, or that you think is great, like it deserves to be put out there and okay, then it can maybe, stand on its merits. So, and maybe even if you're just mindful of, you know, how much you're promoting, yeah, maybe that'll help too. Cause then yeah, there's always then a balance. Know, yeah. Then you know you're not over promoting. Maybe. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I don't know. I'm always, yeah. I'm always like, um, like, I don't know how I feel. It's not like embarrassed to talk about myself, but like I, I feel uncomfortable pimping something that I've done. Like mm -hmm. no matter how proud I am of it, like this book is the best thing that I've ever made. And maybe it will be like for the rest of my life. This will like, remember that time I wrote that, you know, book that I'm so proud of. <laughs> But even even considering that, I find it difficult to talk about it. And mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be humble. I, I'm really not. Um, I really, it's really weird. I don't know. Do you have the same thing? No, totally, totally do. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. It's it it's hard. It reminds me of like when you think about bands that are famous, their names don't sound weird. But if you were like, I'm a sort of band, I'm gonna name it Smashing Pumpkins. And then yeah. you told people that, like, I started a band, I named it Smashing Pumpkins, you would feel weird about it. Because, like, yeah. it hasn't established itself in other people's minds yet. So you're not, yeah. even if you, even if you know it's good, even if, like, you are very experienced in your area, and by all measures, you can look at what you've made and objectively say, this is valuable and good, it hasn't yet had time to get other people to believe that. So you feel scared to talk about it. And yeah. it feels weird because you... There's always that little like worry in the back of your mind that like people are going to think I'm really weird for making this. So I yeah. totally get it. Cool. I think like half the time I upload a video, I'm just like, is this the <laughs> one people are going to hate? I don't know. <laughs> what you need to do is you need to come out with like the crappiest video ever because then you can do anything after that. <laughs> Let me come back from that one, guys. I feel like yeah. I probably already have come up with the crappiest video ever. I'm not sure really? which one it is. <laughs> oh, it's the video on like the welcome page of your site. Yes. Yes, it That's is. It's a crappy one. I, I was awful. on your site. Maybe you're proud of it. I don't know. No, yeah. I'm not. 
I'm not okay. part of that video. It was on the welcome page of yours. I forget why I was there, but yeah, I checked it. It's like, whoa, this is it's not like Tom's other videos. I encourage everybody listening now to go check it out. <laughs> I made that video in 2013. It, it's funny, like I yeah. made videos before that that were not as bad as that one, but for whatever reason, just like the way huh. I delivered all the lines, it just I don't think I practiced them enough, but I tried to prepare them too much. So it was like okay, the, yeah. the horrible <laughs> middle where like it isn't from the heart and off the off the cuff, but it wasn't practiced well enough to seem that yeah. way. It was just like, and then I didn't cut it fast enough because I didn't know I hadn't had enough experience with fast cuts. So now, even if I make a bad video, I can cut it better so it sounds less bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how bad the, the raw footage is. Score yeah. one for editing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to hopefully assuage your fears a bit, I really have been enjoying the book and I'm going to finish it for sure. And um, okay. I don't know like if everyone likes this, but it's one of those books that has like challenges at the end. So if you kind of want to yeah. take distill what is in each uh, chapter and kind of distill it down into some actions you can take, which I do like that. And it was I, I pr- I'm personally mixed about that. Are you? Um, yeah. And, you know, this is this is exactly the book I, I wanted to write. But when I tried to write it without the challenges, like it, it it's like um, it, it didn't work as well. Like, it, mm. you know, I, I know not everybody will do the challenges at the end of the chapters. Um, and I personally be, be, the reason I'm against them is I looked back to every book I've ever read and thought, OK, what book have I actually done the challenges from? And I could name one or two. And of course, I poured over those books to see what they had in common and tried to do that. Um, but, it, you know, they were so ambiguous. I didn't know how much time was involved. Um, I didn't know how much effort it was going to take or how much fun it, or what I would get out of it. Um, and so at the start of each challenge, what I do is I do like estimated time to do the challenge, um, energy and focus required, how much value you'll get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of them, like you'll get less out of um, the challenge than you will with others. And, you know, might as well be honest about that, um, how fun they are. And then, you know, what you'll get out of the challenge. Um, of course, you know, a little write up about that, you know, just to make sure they're worth doing. Because, yeah. you know, I, I kind of wrote the book for myself in that way, knowing that, people are going to have a natural aversion to that. Not everyone. You know, some, some people, some people are going to, some people are going to dive in and, you know, and, and do every single one, which is yeah. amazing. And in that case, they'll become insanely productive, <laughs> uh, but you know, not everyone will. And I want to make sure that people know which ones are worth their time and which ones aren't. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that would do every single one. And often it's not, it's not like I'll read a book that has a challenge at the end and go, Ooh, I'm going to do that right now. But yeah, it'll yeah. plant the seed of like the exact action I can take when that's relevant to my life. It's like, okay, I need to build a new habit. Let's do that. Or uh, when I wanted to take cold showers, like I built a challenge around that. Um, yeah. I remember like really early on in my blogging career, maybe even before, maybe within the first year, I found this ebook and it was like 30 days to a better blog or something like that. And I went through that book and just like did the challenges and it really helped improve a lot of the things. And same thing with, uh, there was like this Japanese learning, like intro to Japanese book. And it just had like a daily challenge. Like, okay, today the challenge is learn the first mm. five hiragana. And that just kind of gave me some, you know, something with like handles like a grip and really just dig into getting work done. Something in the back of your head. Yeah. 
And yeah, that makes sense. So that's yeah. good. And yeah, I know other people don't like challenges and they just kind of want to go through a book and that's fine. You can skip the challenges, but yeah. And I, I hadn't been able to pinpoint it, but that's, that's a good point. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of plants the seed for, you know, what you can do to move the things in the book forward. Because mm-hmm. some some books that you read them and it's just a bunch of words on the page and it's like okay great like I I know what I should do to make this happen but you know it's it's like not strong enough to change your behavior and so yeah. to plant that seed whether somebody does the exact challenge or whether it just kind of sits in the back of their mind until it comes time for them to to feel the urge to yeah I I think there's an insane amount of value mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean again it's a it's a person by person thing. You know, yeah. the the thing that really solidified the you can never please everyone kind of mantra that yeah. we all have to live by. Uh, I listened to this podcast called Hello Internet. And oh, yeah. The, the hosts, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, are CGP Grey and Brady Heron, both of whom who run <laughs> YouTube channels with over a million subscribers, both insanely successful. CGP Grey considers getting things done by David Allen to be like his Bible. It's yeah. like the book that changed his life. He loves it, recommends it to everyone. So they had this fun idea to have Brady read it and then they were going to discuss it. And the next episode was just Brady, like just going on a tear about how much he hated the book, like more than <laughs> anything he'd ever read. And it was like the most boring thing ever. And you have to, he was like, the book is nothing but talking about how you need to synergize your, your meeting minutes and your vision statements. Yeah. And like, he hated it. So, and yet they're both incredibly productive, successful people. Yeah. So like, there are different ways. There are <laughs> definitely different ways that people yeah. are going to work. And you can never make anybody happy or everyone happy. So yeah. might as well just try to make the thing that you, I don't know, try to keep somebody in mind and make the best thing you possibly can for them. And hopefully yeah. most people will like it. Exactly. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming to the show. And, uh, I'll, I'll I'll plug the book again in the outro or the intro or, or whenever I cool. do, do the recording. But yeah, the Productivity Project is on shelves on the 5th. So yes, sir. I'm guessing this will be out on the 4th very shortly after Beautiful. we uh, get off this call now. But yeah. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on. For sure, dude. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Chris. Hopefully you learned something from the interview. And once again, if you want to find any of the things we talked about in the show notes, you can find those over at CIGpodcast.com, that episode 91 link on the page. Otherwise, if you want my favorite resources for making your life as a college student better and you want to find a lot of the gear and apps I used as a student or that I recommend now, you can find all that stuff over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. And that is all I've got for this week. So until the next episode, stay cute.